a deep dive into the Miami Marlins, plus a crazy Florida man story. Craig Mish is next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Mets won not one, but two games in a uh, back-to-back doubleheader. This is the second one they've won, and they've swept both of them. Pretty exciting to watch uh, them from my house as I'm uh, working here and uh, having it on in the background. How about you? It's not that exciting because the quality of players they have on their team is not that high. And right now they're winning with their pitching, which is very hard to do in the long term. Yeah, um, the Mets in the last four games have scored a total of 10 runs, but walked away with three wins. So to me, that is a complete success. Okay, I I guess. (laughs) Yeah, well, we've got a great show tonight. Um, We've got on Craig Mish from SportsGrid. to cover the Miami Marlins here. Um, Not only does he do beat reporting, but he's also a fantastic fantasy baseball player. He's actually in one of our leagues. Welcome to the show, Craig. Ariel Rubin, thanks for having me, and and I really appreciate the invite. Oh, thanks so much for coming on. And, you know, before we we get into it, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the league that we're in. We're in the uh, USA Today Labor League, the mixed auction, which is the second year of existence. And... We're pretty much neck and neck. You had a monster week last week, uh, made it all the way to second. You've dropped to third, but just to point out a second here, uh, we're still in first, luckily. Um, but hey, uh, what do you think so far of the league? It's been a fun year for sure because I'm doing well, and when I'm not, it's no fun. So <laughs> that's the easy <laughs> answer to it. But, uh, you, you know, it's really incredible, uh, you know, to, to compete in these leagues this year, in particular with the injuries. So for me, I'm looking at my team, I'm looking up at you, and, and I'll just kind of like put it, there's, there's two equations for me. The first equation is I have Trevor Rogers, who I think has been the best fantasy pick for anybody this year, and he's the best for me in all the leagues that I have. And then the other part of this is that I have uh, Mondesi and I have Springer and I'm still competing. So, I mean, those were my second and third pick or, or whatever it ended up being in terms of what we did there with the auction. I don't even remember at this point. But regardless, those two guys are on my team and they haven't played. So I'm feeling like I still have a shot being in that position that I'm in. So, yes, it is exciting to sit here as we close in on Memorial Day and still have a chance. Well, that is scary that uh, you're doing this well and you still have those tickets in your back pocket. That's pretty scary. Ooh. It's going to be a long summer for us then. <laughs> and I also noticed you do have a bunch of Marlins on your team. You have Gimme Garcia, you have Adam Duval. Is, is that on purpose or it just happened to turn out that way? I, I've been drafting and doing uh, labor and doing Taors for uh, close to probably 10 years at this point. And Reuven, this is the most Marlins I've had by far. It, it would be really silly for anybody to just point out and say because Craig is in fantasy that he takes Marlins. You you can't find them on my team for a long time. But this year in particular, I did have a pretty good feel for a few of their guys. And I think for the most part, it's worked out. But again, having Trevor Rogers essentially as a very late pick in every draft or a $5 player in every draft has really turned out to be the best thing that I could have done 
because it's worked out to that degree. In fact, with Yumi Garcia, I thought Bass was going to end up being the closer, and I said that at the beginning of the season. He just you know, got, got pretty much banged around, and then they put uh, Garcia in there, so I took him as the handcuff. But that's kind of the one thing I'm going to have to chase at some point is the saves. But if that's in fantasy what you need to do in order to win, you're in really good shape because that's something you can do throughout the year. Yeah, and we actually were the ones who had Bass on. We actually had uh, Anthony Bass come on the show, and we, we thought it would be him, and it was him for a very brief moment. Um, but, yeah, um, the closers were pretty good on here. We, we've got about uh, three closers, and we had Bass. We had Rafael Montero, who's supposed to be the closer. So we, we're loaded with closers. Uh, and we have a lot of Mets. We have uh, Stroman and Taiwan Walker and Edwin Diaz on our staff. Uh, so uh, we usually don't pick that many Mets, but, you know, hey, it just worked out that way. Uh, we, we just like the prices on those. Yeah, I think that when you look at, uh, I think, Walker in particular, that was the one that I could have just never predicted to be viable at all. It's just he's been littered with injuries over the course of his career, and honestly, he was nowhere on my radar to start. But I saw Stroman pitch in person last week, uh, thought he looked pretty good, still the same sort of thing with him, third time through the lineup, tends to get taken out. And as you guys follow very closely with the way the Mets bullpen is pitching, it's very unlikely that any pitcher outside of DeGrom goes more than five or six innings in a game. Yeah, and so far the Mets bullpen has been outstanding to afford the Mets to do that. I mean, the Mets are fantastic in run prevention. Uh, Right now they're dealing with injuries, but uh, hopefully in the summer when they'll be all healthy, we'll also have the offensive machine going. So before we go on some more, just a little bit about you yourself. How did did you get your start in this industry? Uh, And, you know, where do you start and and how did you take the steps to get where you are today? Yeah, I've been playing fantasy baseball and fantasy football for a really long time. I and mean, we're talking about going back to APBA days. We're talking about Commodore 64 computers in the 80s and playing Micro League Baseball, uh, Origins of Stratomatic, all of that stuff. I mean, that's kind of where I got that. And, uh, you know, of course, collecting cards and looking at the back of the baseball cards. So that's kind of where it started for me. And, and then played, you know, on, on stats components, on America Online, uh, leagues where you basically used to have to fill it out. Of course, you waited every Sunday for the stats. And yeah, I mean, that does take me back. And then after doing all of this and preparing myself to have a career in broadcasting, never would have thought that a, a fantasy sports channel would launch. And that's exactly what happened, I believe, back in 2010 or 2011. I got a phone call from uh, SiriusXM. They said that they were going to start a fantasy channel. They were going to start off with football, but then eventually they would move to baseball. And they asked me if I would be interested in, in hosting their baseball show a few days a week. It was myself uh, as as one host, and then the other host was a gentleman by the name of Jeff Rickard, who I'm still friends with to this day. is the program director at a radio station in Indianapolis. So uh, I was paired up with Cliff Floyd, who's one of my very, very close friends, uh, Cliff had just retired, and he was looking for something to do, so I suggested that he host the show with me. Steve Phillips hosted the show with Jeff Rickard, and uh, Steve went on to host on MLB Network Radio. Jeff eventually became program director in Indianapolis. Uh, Cliff went on to work for MLB Network and broadcasting for both the Blue Jays and Marlins, and Craig Mish worked for nine years hosting that show, guys, on Sirius XM Radio. Nine years I did that, so I had... Uh, uh, what I would say a really great run uh, working for them. I, I think a lot of people focus on the ending with this sort of stuff, but I tend to focus on the positive 
and very thankful for that opportunity because it certainly had led me to uh, sports grid. And essentially, I'm more or less doing that show today. That's fantastic. Um, now, it's incredible, you know, just starting from the fantasy baseball and now really getting into it. And, you know, the question that we have is, uh, as far as playing fantasy baseball, you know, being in the business and covering a team so closely and having uh, somewhat of a Rolodex, does that help you play fantasy baseball? Does that give you a leg up and an advantage in any way? I, I think I think for some of the things that I do, it definitely does. I, I think that there have been some sort of trademark moments for fantasy that I've been able to help people with. Uh, like as an example, I'm able to, I would say, uh, get information when players are going to get called up before the public knows. A few years ago, I think most people who followed me back when I was on satellite radio would tell you that uh, Denelson Lamette, before he was called up, was a name that I told everybody to pick up because I had heard something and he came up. So I think from that perspective, I think it does help because on a Sunday night when people are making their moves, there's a chance that I'm aware of something that somebody else isn't. Now, uh, of course, that's half the battle, and most people w- would tell you that's that's the entire battle because the opportunity has to present itself before the talent can shine. But again, the player has to actually play well for that to equal itself. But I would say that probably the most important thing that I can do from a fantasy perspective that most people don't and the general public can't, and that was eliminated from me, unfortunately, this year, but that is spring training because during that time, I'm really able to speak to people, speak to players, speak to executives, get a sense for who they like going into the season. And during that two-month period of February and into March, you have players and executives that are more willing to talk and more willing to be open about things because they simply haven't talked to anybody about baseball for five months and they're willing to do it. Uh, so that to me is is a big advantage I think that I have. And it hasn't led to a lot of championships in expert leagues, but I can tell you that I've given people some pretty good advice in terms of sleepers through the years. A thousand percent. So we're going to talk about the Miami Marlins today. And to kick it off, let's start out with the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. We're going to talk about the Marlins now, and Craig, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit here because we're going to talk about the closer situation and everything that's going on with the Marlins. Now, my trivia for this week is two of the top all-time Marlins closers in saves are still active in the MLB. Who are they? Two-time uh, Marlins closers? Two, two of the top all-time Marlins closers are still active in the MLB. Who active and playing regularly? Uh, there. I'll give you a hint. They're both on the same team right now. One is in the majors. One is in the minors. And and they are number one and number two on the all time list. Um, one is ranked number three, and one is ranked number four. Wow, that's a really good question. Uh, so it's somebody that has had to have pitched over the last, let's say, five or six years. Um, trying to jog my memory here and, and go back a and blank think. here. Boy, I have I have almost nothing for you here. I mean, is Steve Ciszek on this list? I that mean, is, is he... one of them, correct. Oh. He is ranked third with 94 career saves for the Marlins. The other one is, is also is he, is he, on the yeah. Angels, A.J. AJ Ramos. Ramos. Yeah. A.J. Oh. Ramos, correct. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. The top closers, the top saves leaders of all time Leo for the Marlins Nunez? is Rob, Rob Nen. Mm-hmm. Followed by Antonio Alfonseca and his six fingers. Sure. And Steve Shisek 
Juan Carlos Oviedo, Adrian Ramos, and Kevin Gregg. And if you want to go really far back, Brian Harvey, one of the original Marlins. Wow. So yeah, that's, yeah. that's the trivia for the week. Well, I wow. got it. It took me a bit, but I got it. Wow. Yep. That was a tough one, Ruvain. Uh wow. Well, I, I guess you mentioned the closers here because we're talking about the closer situation. Um, as we just said before, uh, you know, Anthony Bass, Jimmy Garcia. Uh, Bass was the guy, I think, to start, but ran into trouble. To be honest, since that day with the Mets where he had that Conforto lean into the pitch walk-off, his uh, ERA has been 1.1 with a .8 whip. So Bass has been dynamite since. Of course, Garcia the entire year, 1.3 ERA, .87 whip, nine saves. So uh, Marlins, I'm not sure how viable they are to win a title. Is this a team that's going to be looking to trade one of these or both of these excellent relievers this year? Well, Garcia is under team control for a couple more years, so I don't think so. And and I'm not a huge Jimmy Garcia fan, by the way, either. Like, I don't think that he's their closer of the future by any means. Just a really good scouting and development story to make a, uh, you know, a free agent signing to get him from Los Angeles, where he was really not used in high leverage, and he kind of fell into his way a little bit last year with that, and now you're seeing him close this year. Um, you know, Bass is interesting because they kind of backloaded his contract, I think he's got a two-year, $4 million deal and $1 million for this and $3 million for next. And you're right, he has pitched much better, and his ERA does show that, but he still has struggled when they put him in those high-leverage situations. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I think they'd love to give him another opportunity to close, but I'm just not sure that it will happen. So he certainly would be a candidate to be dealt if he continues to pitch this way. I think that there is a chance of that. But I think the Marlins' closer of the future is not somebody that we're talking about yet. Not really sure who that will end up being. But my guess is Garcia continues to get save opportunities the rest of the way. There'd be no reason to trade him if he's under control. Right. Who are the trade candidates for, for the Marlins, in your opinion? Well, I, I think the, the player that they would like to trade uh, right now or even in a month or two the most would be Corey Dickerson. Uh, they signed him to a two-year, $18 million contract, and he had a really hard time last year. Uh, I, I guess, you know, I, I've heard that, you know, him not being in the same routine on a daily basis kind of affected that. Uh, he had a death in the family. You know, a lot of reasons why, you know, you don't hear about things with a player and you can't really quantify them. So I was told that, and then going into the season, I fully expected a pretty strong rebound. And at this point, in terms of all qualified hitters in the major leagues, uh, I mean, you're not going to find anybody with less home runs that plays his position and plays as often as he does. He's got one home run. So I think that they would love to get, uh, get moving on from him and call up Jesus Sanchez and play him in left field every day. Uh, at this point, Dickerson is not a player who's even playing at all against lefties. And in fact, on Thursday, they pinch hit for him in a very close ball game against the left-handed pitcher Alvarado. So in terms of a, tr a player that they would like to trade, it would be him, Ariel. But let's think this through here a little bit. He's still making $9 million. He's got one home run. And what team is going to give up anything for a player like that right now? And I don't know that there would be many. But circle his name. I don't think he'll be there after July 31st. Well, actually, let's take let's take one step back. Do you think the Marlins are for sure going to be sellers? I mean, they're only it's it's only it's Memorial Day weekend, and they're only three games out of first, and they made the playoffs last year with all the injuries on the Mets, with all the injuries. Bryce Harper going down for the Phillies. Are they considered sellers at this point, or do you even think they can be buyers at some point? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the question was if they were sellers, it was Dickerson. But I would tell you that if they were buyers, it would be Dickerson too. I, I just don't think that he factors into the, the long-term game plan with them. If you remember, they were buyers at the deadline last year and they were sellers. They bought uh, they bought Starling Marte. They sold Jonathan VR, and VR was a pretty big free agent signing for them. So Miami's never been afraid to make these moves under this new regime they traded Zach Gallen at his, you know, just came up to the majors, looked good through a handful of games, boom, dealt him and in, in, in a situation where they essentially got a player in Jazz Chisholm for a couple years down the road. So I expect them to be aggressive. They've shown nothing but been aggressive over the last few years. But they, like a lot of other teams, have some pretty massive injuries. In fact, over the last 48 hours, two injuries that could be months, could be a season, could be a couple of weeks. And I think they got to sort that out before they figure out what to do. And before we talk more about Jazz Chisholm, my, my trade candidate thought with them would be Adam Duval, who's on a smaller contract uh, for the year. I think he has a mutual option for next year. Uh, and he is a good right-handed power bat source. I mean, there are always teams that need a good right-handed guy off the bench. Um, he's a perfect pinch hit type of slot where he can play every couple days as well. Uh, I think he would be in high demand. Other than the relievers who are always in high demand, I think Duval would be uh, my prediction for the most likely to be traded. Well, Duval's option for next year is expensive, but at the same time, Ariel, if they if they trade him and they move on from Dickerson and Marte's a free agent, you're kind of leaving the cupboard completely bare for next year. And and Duval, by the way, if if Gold Gloves were given out today, he'd win in right field. He's got the most defensive run saves for any right fielder in baseball. So uh, I don't take exception to it, but I just don't think that they're going to dismantle the entire outfield. I think someone will be back from that crew next year. No, good point. Good point. My my thought is that you know if you want to trade, you know the team's going to want the, the has to want the the uh, player. Uh, and Duval just fits somebody that, a profile of someone sure. that could fit on their team. Uh, but uh, definitely granted uh, and point taken about uh, next year. Uh, but let's talk about Jazz Chisholm. Uh, so far, stellar to start the season, batting two eighty six, five homers, nine stolen bases, good for fourth in all of the major leagues. Uh, I think that makes him number one in the NL. Uh, 15 runs, 11 RBIs, and only 105 bats. He missed some time. In fantasy dollar, he's worth uh, $13 in a 15-team 5x5 format, really undrafted or drafted in the, the reserve rounds. Um, the question is, what is he going to be going forward? Preseason ATC projections only had him at a 209 batting average. Uh, most rest-of-season projections right now, a little bit higher than that. We're talking 215 to 220. Good power-speed combo. Um, I don't think that his batting average is going to be kept up. He's got a 417 BABIP, very very high strikeout rate. Um, so he, he's uh, the average is going to go down, but I think that the uh, power-speed combo is going to continue. What are your thoughts about uh, the young Florida Marlin? Miami yeah, great Miami <laughs> Yeah, great, great start for sure for him and has looked every bit the part of a starting player in Major League Baseball. And that's important because, again, everyone's looking for all-stars. Teams are just looking for starting players at this point. Uh, his ability to steal, without a doubt, uh, I, I think he's, he's going to be consistently every year a 30-steal player in Major League Baseball. I think you're right in terms of the BABIP. It's been off the charts. That's got to equalize itself. He also, over the last few weeks, has come down to earth quite a bit. And you've seen some of that drop off. And why is that happening? Like every other player, rookie comes up. His name is Austin Riley. Rakes for a month. Teams find holes. Got to make adjustments. It took Riley five months. 
uh, you know, Jazz Chisholm is going to is gonna get pitched to differently. They're not going to throw him a fastball up at his eyes at 100 miles an hour because he's hitting those for home runs. So I think those adjustments will be made. I think he's going to be a really good Major League Baseball player. Does he play a little reckless right now? Yes. Does that make him fun? Yes. So you got to kind of take the good with the bad. He tries to extend a single into a double. He gets out. He hurts his uh, ankle. Two innings before, he's stealing third on two outs. You know, the team has to tell him you can't do that. So, uh, you know, there, there's there's going to be growing pains with all of this. But, uh, you know, for him to have the value in fantasy, he's got to keep those legs healthy. And right now they're not. But hopefully as uh, as he gets back to health, I think his pace is for about almost 40 steals. And if he's healthy, I think he'll get close to that. He's actually missed the last couple of days with a, with a mild ankle sprain. First of all, do you think he's going to come back or do you think he's going to end up with a, with a 10 day IL stint or is it possible that he's going to be able to play through it and, and had this not affect his stolen bases because he's in the minors he didn't really steal that many bases in the minors I think the most stolen bases he had for a year was 17 in 2018 between double A and triple A so he, he wasn't really known for his speed necessarily in his in the minors and now with this ankle sprain do you think they IL him for a couple of days get him back to 100 percent before they send him back out there well, he's missed a couple of days. They could have IL'd him already, and they didn't, and they're going to Boston for the weekend. And the sense I get is they're not going to put him on the injured list. Uh, that may have changed, Reuven, if Miguel Rojas hadn't gotten hurt and dislocated his finger. But essentially, Jazz Chisholm, I believe, is going to be their starting shortstop for at least the next month when he's healthy. So I don't think they can afford to do it. So I think that you will see him this weekend at some point in Boston. It may not be on Friday. But uh, if this goes any longer, then you're getting into a danger zone here. But uh, the, the, the notion that he's 100% healthy is definitely not there because they could have used him in a pinch running situation today where they would have needed somebody. They had the catcher on first base in the ninth inning down a run, and they just let that guy run, Sandy Leone. So uh, I expect uh, Jazz to be back. He may not be stealing immediately right away, but I, I think you'll see him back this weekend at some point. And you actually mentioned Miguel Rojas. Does he have the same type of... The injury situation that Marcelo Zuna had, that he dislocated some fingers, they found it as a fracture, and then he may be on the IL for an extended period of time? We don't know yet, so I hate to speculate that, but it does sound like there's a chance uh, of, of that happening at this point. I mean, it just happened uh, earlier today. There is some concern there. Um, he's going to see a specialist this weekend. He's going to go on the injured list on Friday. So, you know, I'm telling you guys that it's, it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. And then Miami is just going to you know, keep their fingers crossed that they don't lose him and lose Brian Anderson for an extended period of time. They're still waiting to see how long Brian Anderson's going to be out. Yeah, also hobbling there. We've seen a lot of hitter I- injuries this year. There, it's, the pace is up tremendously. The pitcher pace in baseball has dropped from last year, but hitters just going off the charts. Um, let's play a little bit of a game here of where would you rank him, and uh, I'll mention a couple of second basemen, and you tell me if you'd prefer Jazz Chisholm or that player, and let's see where we can put him. Obviously, Jazz, before the season started, was really low down. Uh, I mean, maybe people took them in the reserve rounds, but he certainly was not a major player. I think he is now. Would you rather have Jazz Chisholm or, let's go really low to start this, Cesar Hernandez? That's not close, right? No, I don't. I, I don't think no, so. I mean, you know, this is actually, you know, it's a. I mean, it's a fun discussion to have. But what I think we're going to learn from this is just how poor that position is at second base. You know, I mean, it's a yeah. really desolate uh, position right now in fantasy. Yeah, and that actually makes Chisholm's value even more 
course, the more adept the position, the greater the replacement level bump you get. What about uh, Nick Madrigal? Would you prefer Chisholm or Madrigal? Roto. Yeah, I, you know, if, if this was me for the rest of the season in a in a league where I'm trying to win a World Series, I may pick Madrigal. But if I'm playing fantasy, I pick Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, Madrigal's just not going to hit any home runs. I think he hit one and they had a party. <laughs> uh, Dylan Moore. Um, still Jazz Chisholm for the steals. Still Jazz Chisholm for the steals. Rest of the season, I could still do that. I mean, with Moore, do you get a dual eligibility with him at all, or no? Second base outfield. Yeah, I mean that that may add a little to it, but hey, you may get short now with Jazz. So, um, I'll still say Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Andres Jimenez, very drafted, very high. No, I'd rather have Jazz. Not yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we've we've tapped no. in anyone yet. Yeah. No. Gene Segura. Ah, uh, Gene Segura. Gene Segura. Uh, I mean, I, I have to believe that no matter what we're hearing publicly, that privately, that there's some discontent there with the manager and him. Uh, would the Phillies move him to another spot where he'd be a backup if they fell out of it? I guess there's a chance of that. Uh, this is closer, I think, for me. I, I think I would take Jazz Chisholm, but this is the closest that it is. This is right. the closest one so far. What about what about Kevin Biggio? Kevin Biggio is they're very similar players. Yeah, Biggio is hurt, correct? Yes, he is. He's injured now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can't. I, I mean, I'd have to take a healthy player over an injured. I just I, I can't. I can't project when an injured player is coming back. If they so were I'll both healthy, that. though. Probably uh, if they if they were both healthy, I may side with Biggio here. Yeah. Uh, if you told me that the, I mean, see, I mean, so much to this. If you told me the Blue Jays are playing in Buffalo the rest of the season, I definitely yeah. would take Biggio. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What about Mike Mustakas? Getting a little bit too high now, right? Yeah, I'm now you're now you're talking okay. about a gar- a guaranteed 20 home runs yeah. the rest of the season of you know 38 percent on base. Yeah, I mean it's you know, okay. we're, yeah, yeah we're top so five guys. This guy. is about the range. We're talking Gene Segura, Kevin Biggio range, even with the injury right now. That's where uh, that's where he fits. Which is roughly about a uh, 14 fifteen dollar player, and that's what Chisholm has performed to date. So uh, I guess we're we're thinking that what he's doing is going to continue less the batting average, pretty much, right? Yeah, you know, the the other part of this is that it's like it depends on your league, too. Like, if this is a points league, like, this is the conversation we're having. But I don't know where where I am in my standings, and I'm sitting there, and I have no second baseman, and I need steals. And then all of a sudden, I'm looking at Moustakas versus Jazz, and I was like, okay, give me Jazz. Now, if I need home runs, I take Moustakas. Yeah, this is the conversation if we're doing, let's say, a a second chance league starting now, and everybody's starting and from scratch. You know, obviously, Mm -hmm. it depends. Chisholm's going to do. Listen, we just traded uh, Jazz Chisholm in labor. We had him, uh, and we traded him to uh, Ryan Hallam for Zach Wheeler. Um, uh, we preferred Wheeler. We needed pitching on our team, and we have plenty of steals. And uh, I thought we got a yeah. great value for that. You know, yeah. Look, Wheeler's a, a fantastic pitcher, and regardless of what we're going to say, I think things are going to change significantly now for pitchers. But regardless of that, I, I think that Wheeler's going to be great the rest of the year. Right, right. And of course, Hallam was in a spot where he needed steals, and Jazz Chisholm's an instant 
uh, solution to that. So it, it matters where you are in the context of your league. Let's talk about Trevor Rogers. When we had Anthony Bass on the show, he was raving about him. Um, ATC was really high on Rogers preseason, one of the lowest ERAs of any projection system. Um, and he's pitched great. Once 1.75 ERA. Now his ERA estimator is a little bit higher. His FIP at 2.6. XFIP and Sierra closer to 3.5, which is still pretty good. Um, he has a homer to fly ball rate of 6.5, so he's a little bit lucky with the balls not going out. Uh, but strikeout rate is great. He's a 15% swinging strike rate, and he's shown like a 13% in the minors. So he's getting lots of whiffs, and he's showing that. Uh, I think that Trevor Rogers is pretty much going to be fantastic the rest of the season. Maybe an ERA of, let's call it 3-6 when the, you know, a couple more balls go out. But the strikeouts are absolutely uh, drooling worthy. Um, you agree with that? And thoughts on Route Rogers? Look, I, I he's he's been the MVP on my teams this year. He's he's definitely the rookie of the year as it stands right now. He's he'd have to be in the conversation for Cy Young. How could he not? He'd have to be a top five guy in the National League. So no holes to poke at Trevor Rogers, but obviously there is one elephant in the room conversation to have with him, which is the innings. And he simply right. put has never gotten close to the innings that he's going to get to this year. And uh, guys, I just don't know how many innings they're going to allow him to throw in a season where they're hovering around 500. Um, You know, I've heard somewhere between 150 and 175, which kind of gets him toward the end of the year. But it also brings up the interesting conversation where it's like, you know, you, you may just stay quiet about it for a while. And then all of a sudden, continues to pitch well June you get to July and some you know unknowing owner in a fantasy league says wow you're gonna give me Trevor Rogers for this player knowing that he's only got about 30 innings left uh, you know that may be something that I would have to consider and I gotta tell you that's something that I'm gonna be poking around as the season goes on great fantasy advice there um, quickly uh, uh, we have a mailbag question from uh, Dirinola. he asks can we have a Sisto Sanchez update what do, what do you have for that Sure. Yeah, Sixto Sanchez is certainly way behind schedule for what anyone thought that he was going to start this season. He was expected to start with the Marlins the second week in April, and we're closing in on June, and he still has not thrown in a minor league game. There was a lot of concern when he first was injured back in March that it could have been an extended injury. They told us it was not, and it turned out to be anyway. I just think they're being super cautious with this player. They made a trade. They traded JT Realmuto for this player, and their catcher, Jorge Alfaro, was also in the deal, and he hasn't really worked out. So you know how teams are. Got to justify trades. <laughs> Got to make them look good. Uh, I wouldn't say they're scared about six, though, but they just they just really have, have taken their time with him to a degree that I don't think you can get away with year after year. It almost feels like they, the Strasburg years initially. So... Sanchez is going to come back, I would say, three or four weeks from now, maybe make a start or two before the All-Star break. And what they're hoping is, if they can hang in until then, that Sixto can make, let's say, a total of 15 starts from then until the end of the season. I think that that's realistic. They would not have to shut him down. He could pitch in the postseason like he did last year. Anything to add to that on the injury front, Ruben? Well, I, I heard that he's supposed to start throwing like a bullpen session next week as well. But I was looking at him, and I also saw another name that came up for for pitchers in the minors is Max Mayer. Are we going to be seeing him in the majors at all this year, or the, or the Marlins is going to keep him down for this year? Yeah, I, I think you could see him in September. I think if I think regardless, they're probably going to give him a few starts at the end of the year to see what he has, and I could see him being a part of their rotation. He was their first round pick. 
last year. He's been dynamite so far in the minor leagues, but again, not throwing for a full year competitively. Uh, Ruvain, I don't, I don't think you can ask any 2020 draft pick to throw 120 innings in the big leagues this season. So uh, maybe Max Meyer gets three starts at the end of the year. Maybe he's a part of a postseason run for them. Those things I could see. Right. Any other prospects that you might see uh, come up in 2021 that would give uh, fantasy owners uh, some reason to take them? Well, look, everyone that I speak to in the organization has believed for two or three years that Edward Cabrera, their pitcher, is is every bit as good as Sixto Sanchez or better, but he's just had some injuries that have that have held him back. I would keep a really close eye on him also between now and the end of the year because, again, if Trevor Rogers at some point is shut down, uh, there's going to have to be replacement pitchers there for him. And I think Edward Cabrera has a real chance to be an anchor uh, in a rotation. But look, he just has not had the health to this point. But his minor league numbers definitely drop off the charts. And then there's another pitcher that's going to shock some people, but there's there's a, there's a kid who they drafted last year in the third round, a left-handed pitcher who's pitching right now uh, in Pensacola. His name is Jake Eater. He's in that same rotation as Max Meyer. He's been the best left-handed pitcher in AA thus far. And and I got to tell you right now, I mean, I don't know about this year, but he is absolutely going to be on everybody's radar in the future. They may have just gotten a steal in the draft. He's been untouchable. His name is Jake Eater, E-D-E-R. No one's heard of him yet, but you're playing in a dynasty league. He's somebody you need to grab. And the Marlins are one to promote people right from Double uh, A. I I mean, uh, Jose Fernandez, remember, just came up and, and rocked it. So uh, it wouldn't... Wouldn't take much for the Marlins to possibly do that if they uh, if they're vi- if they're uh, in it, you know. And a question for you is, uh, what are what are your predictions for the NL East? Uh, if you had to put your money, how do you think the five teams finish right now? I still would take the Braves. I still would pick the Braves to win. I know that they're they're missing Ozuna. Everyone's missing someone in that division for sure. But I don't think that I would have changed. I don't think I'd change at all from the beginning of the season. I think at the beginning of the year, I had Braves one. Uh, Mets two, Phillies three, Marlins four, Nationals five. I don't. I don't think I would change a thing about that. I think that's that's the way it's. In my opinion, it will finish. Just was not bullish at all on what Washington did in the off season. I, I just I didn't love those moves of Bell and, and Schwarber. Um, you know, Miami would have to play much better than they're playing right now to jump ahead of two other teams to finish second. But I think at some point the Braves go on a run. And, uh, you know, maybe they get Soroka healthy. Their pitching is pretty good. Their hitting is really good. They keep Acuna healthy as long as that guy's healthy, right? Like, they're going to win 85 games in their sleep. So, I'll, I'll still pick the Braves. Yeah. Ruvain, your prediction? Yeah. I still think the Braves are going to win also. And I think that run may start this weekend because they're playing the Mets. And the Mets are so depleted that this is exactly the time when they can start that run. I think the Braves are one. I think as long as the Mets get healthy or a semblance of healthy, they'll finish second. Then I'd actually put the Phillies in fourth. I'm actually moving the Marlins up to third just because of the injuries the Phillies are having and how their their bullpen was supposed to get better and their bullpen hasn't really been that much better because they have a bunch of guys that can throw 100 miles an hour like Jose Alvarado, but he just doesn't know where it's going, and that's a problem. Um, But I think the Phillies are going to finish in fourth, and I actually think think the the Nationals are going to finish in last just because the exact same reason you said, Craig, I don't like 100% what they did this year. And they just don't have that wow factor. And their pitching staff, how long is Steven Strasburg going to stay healthy for the rest of the season? You have no idea. Yeah. Fangraphs has, uh, going forward, the Mets as the most likely team to make the playoffs at 72%. 
Braves at 36, then Phillies Nationals with Marlins at a 2% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, I, I also, I'm with you guys. I, I like, maybe I'm a, just a pessimistic Mets fan, but um, I like the Braves better than the Mets. Uh, I love the Mets staff, uh, but uh, they've got a lot of holes in the next month. Um, and then uh, I, I like the uh, I like the Phillies third, uh, and then I'll go Nationals Marlins. I I do think the 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 Marlins will end up in last. Uh, I think that um, I think they will make some trades, and of course, when you do make trades, you do suck out some value and warn out of your team. And you know, so although they you know if they made a trade or two to acquire somebody, maybe it goes the other way. But uh, I'm I'm gonna bet the under on the Marlins uh, for this year. Let's talk about uh, waiver wire. Uh, that's where we talk about a couple of potential picks to pick up this week to help your fantasy teams. Could be deep, could be not so deep. Your choice. All right, let's go, Ruvain, first. Okay, well, I, when I was preparing this, I actually had a pick of Darren Ruff, but he went on the IL moments before we started doing this, so uh, he's out of the out of the picture. I have two pitchers that I wanted to mention. First is Seth Lugo from the Mets. He's a, he's a reliever. He has closed in the past. He has started in the past. There's a possibility he can do either one. He can pitch in hard leverage situations. He can follow an opener. He's only owned in 7% of CBS leagues, and he's due to come back this coming week. He's, he should be coming back either June 1st or the first week in June. So he's a great guy to pick up. If you need someone to help with your, uh, with your ERA and your whip, he's a perfect guy. You can stick in there, and he'll pitch at least a couple innings a week and get you some decent strikeouts and help with your ERA and whip. Another guy is another pitcher who we actually had on the podcast before, and that's Randy Dobnak. Why am I mentioning him? He's only 6% owned in CBS. He was just um, brought up again because of injury, because Kenta Maeda, who may be out for an extended period of time, for a month or more. So he's Randy Dobnak signed a contract with the Twins. He's going to be there. He's going to start. He pitched pretty well last year. He I know he helped me and my fantasy team last year to win, win one of my leagues. Um, when he pitches, it's going to be at least three, four, five innings. He's going to go very well. He's going to go deeper into games as he builds up more of his stamina. And he's actually one of the more reliable pitchers on the waiver wire that are just not owned right now. Yeah, I like him in the starting role better than from the bullpen with the, his stuff. Um, he's got a 55% ground ball rate this year, which, believe it or not, is below his career average. Uh, just everything goes on the floor. He's one of the best ground ball pitchers in baseball, or at least I'm not going to say the best. Uh, he's one of the uh, the highest ground ball pitcher rates in all of baseball and a great WPDI, meaning he's getting people to chase out of the zone quite a bit, so I like that pick. I'll mention three quick ones. Uh, Austin Gomber. Um, you know, since that famous Gombard start back in April where he got shelled for like nine runs, he's pitching to a 3.14 ERA and a one whip. His walk rate has been terrible, but his strikeout rate is actually pretty decent, and he's not a course field guy. He's got a 1.88 ERA at home in all his starts. Um Somebody to think about. He the next couple of starts, Oakland and Miami, he gets. So, uh, just take a look, and if you have the roster space, consider him. Uh, I mentioned two more guys. Catcher Jacob Stallings, probably not for a one catcher league, but if you're in a two catcher league, he's an instant pickup, and maybe even a low end if you're in like a fifteen team one catcher league. He's batting cleanup for the Pirates. I don't care who you are and what team you are. If you're batting cleanup for a team, you're going to get RBI opportunities. Uh, and that's Jacob Stallings. He's only 35% owned on CBS. He's got four homers, a 240 batting average, which is okay for a catcher, 18 RBIs. Uh, consider him. 
What about Garrett Cooper? Really, uh, coming on lately, since May 14th, he's batting 444 with three homers on the season, five homers, 264 batting average. Um, I mean, Garrett Cooper, uh, uh, Marlon, uh, do you agree with that pick? Yeah, I mean, look, I right now is a great time to pick Garrett Cooper up. They're playing in Boston this weekend, so he's going to play every day. He's going to DH. Looks like he's finally found his stroke. So he was somebody I was really fond of at the beginning of the season, but kind of hard to find your footing when you're only playing three days a week. So, yeah, I, I do I do think with all the injuries the Marlins have, he's going to play quite a bit. Yep, and we just picked him up in labor last week. Uh, all right, any uh, waiver wire picks, sure. Fred? Yes. Okay. So a couple of them, of course, the Yankees today uh, called up Estevan Florial. They've had a ton of injuries. There's no doubt that he's going to get an opportunity to play. Hicks is out for the season. Who knows what Brett Gardner is? Who knows when Luke Voigt is going to come back? I think Florial gets a nice opportunity to play. So obviously in a deeper league, um, he's got to get the playing time, but I think that he's at least worthy of a look. And is on the waiver wire in terms of closer, you probably, I mean, you guys probably talked about him last week, but I'm definitely going to check out Michael Fulmer. I know he gave up a couple of runs a couple of days ago, uh, but the Tigers are just not scoring runs. I don't care that they're going to lose 100 games. They're going to win 50, and he's going to get save opportunities. I'm just not fond of Gregory Soto of what I've seen. So uh, Fulmer is a guy for me in any league, I think, in terms of trying to get you saves. I think you should give it a shot. I mean, look, it comes with a ton of great starting pedigree. It just hasn't worked out for him. Yep, sounds good. On to our pitcher preview. That's where we highlight either a good one-key start matchup or uh, maybe a good two-start week for a pitcher. Got to be careful you don't get gombered, but uh, it's always good to look at the teams and see if there's any good matchups. Uh, let's start with you again, Ruvain. Um, What do you have for this week's pitcher preview? Okay, well, I actually have two pitchers in mind. The first one I've mentioned before, and that's James Caprillian. I think that's how you pronounce him, from Oakland. I mentioned him before. He's been pitching very, very well. Um, he's only owned in 37% of leagues in CBS, and he's pitching at Seattle next and at Colorado. Both of those teams don't hit that well. Both of those teams strike out a lot. James Caprillian struck out nine in his last start. So he's a guy, if, if I mentioned him a couple weeks ago when very few people had him, I think when I mentioned him, only 6% had him. I'm mentioning him again just because he's still if he's still available, I think you should pick him up. Another guy I want to mention, San Diego Padre, Ryan Weathers. He's two-start this week or scheduled for two-start at Chicago and at home against the Mets. The Mets lineup stinks right now. They have nobody there. Maybe Pete Alonso will be back. He's supposed to come back hopefully over the weekend or the beginning of the week. But otherwise, there's really no one in that lineup. They're on their fifth, sixth, seventh string outfielder. So Ryan Weathers, um, he's in his last nine innings. He's an ERA of three, only two strikeouts. Um, but he is the son of former Marlin, David Weathers. And he has some pedigree there. So I think he's a good guy to have, especially with those two matchups coming up. The Mets have Patrick Mazika. Billy McKinney and Cameron Mabin to play in their lineup. What are you talking about? We've got a great lineup every day. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I forgot about those guys, yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Craig, let's go to you for the pitcher preview. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll just pick one for next week, and I think that he's flying under the radar, probably unowned in a lot of 12-team leagues, but uh, not a fantastic matchup, but I think the awareness has to be there because Framber Valdez is back. I mean, he was the best pitcher going into the season for the Houston Astros, has been out for two months. He faces off with Boston, I believe, uh, early next week or mid-next week. I don't think he's going to get two starts, and of course, he's starting this weekend. So if he pitches well, 
I definitely think that even like forget about two star pitcher. I mean, he has dynamic stuff. So a healthy Fran Valdez at home for Houston is definitely important to get him back in the lineup. And as a pickup too, could be available in a league where somebody cut him. Yeah, that's not a streaming pitcher. That's a pitcher to take for the whole season. So for sure, if he's out there, you got to grab him now before it's too late. Um, I'll go with two pitchers, one who pitched against the Mets today, Herman Marquez. Um, Two-star pitcher because he was rained out the other day, uh, and he pitched a brilliant seven-inning complete game loss, one earned run, just a, a one home run today. Uh, he plays Texas and Oakland. Uh, both are at home, question on that, but those are good matchups. For sure, if you're in a head-to-head points league, he's definitely the guy. You know, Herman Marquez was number two in all of baseball in innings pitch last year. Most people don't know that. They think Lance Lynn, Lance Lynn. Mar- Marquez was number two. And these days, the game is about innings. If you pitch deep into a game, you can get a win. If you don't pitch deep into a game, you have less of a chance to win. Crappier pitcher will get more wins if they pitch deeper. So Marquez is somebody, if the, he is available in your league, uh, unless you fear the killing of ERA for two starts, uh, the guy to look at. But in terms of wins, that is a great week to play him. Uh, and I'll mention Merrill Kelly, 25% owned on CBS. Two starts this week against the Mets. And Milwaukee, the Mets, as we said, are hobbled. Milwaukee has a 220 batting team batting average. Terrific starts. Anybody against Milwaukee is a good start, and he has two for the week. Since April 15th, Merrill Kelly, and before April 15th, he had some bad starts at Colorado and at San Diego, which is tough. He has not given up more than three runs, either earned or not, in a single game. The last three starts they've had, all quality starts, including one versus the Dodgers. So I think Merrill Kelly is a good pick, and you may even want to keep him after that. So take Merrill Kelly. Uh, do a couple of mailbag questions. Let's start with Russell, who says, I would like to hear about the conversations that you had in choosing your intro music to the podcast, which I find highly disconcerting. huh? And I mean that in the most complimentary way. I love it. That's probably the wrong word there, but it's not upsetting or anything. It's just so unique and different from all other pod intros that it's a little jarring, no matter how many times I hear it. But it always makes me smile, and I think it's perfect. I truly love it. Well, thank you so much, Russell. Um, I chose this piece. This was an intro music piece from uh, my brother's longtime saxophone teacher's album uh, called Oneness World. This CD was from like 25 years ago. Uh, this uh, His name is Premi Russell Tubbs. He's actually uh, performed with some greats like Carlos Santana, Whitney Houston. Um, he's actually recorded some of my stuff in the past. Fantastic listen. And uh, uh, actually, b- both the interlude music and, and the uh, um, the drops that we do for the uh, trivia, also from the same album. Uh, I even use another track uh, for my ringtone on my phone. So I just love it. It means a lot to me, and that's why I use it. Uh, Ruvain, you, you, you let me use it, so I guess you're good with it. Yeah, I tolerate it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's one. I, I love listening to jazz stuff, and um, I, I don't really give a lot of personal stuff. But my favorite jazz piece of all time is a, a piece called "Feels So Good" by uh, Chuck Mangione. If you haven't heard that, check that piece out. I love that. I wake up to that every morning. I was considering that one, but uh, I couldn't ask Chuck. Uh, I did get permission to use this one from uh, Premeek. Uh, Adam asks. What are the Marlins doing differently regarding pitching development? 
which pitching prospects are most interesting in their system. We covered that, uh, and I'm really enjoying the podcast. Thank you much, at, so much, Adam. So let's let's go to you, Craig. Uh, um, what what do you see the Marlins doing differently in terms of their pitching development in the minors? Yeah, they they brought in a uh, pitching coordinator named Scott Aldred, who has worked a lot with some of the pitchers that you've seen recently. Over the last year or so, uh, other names of pitchers that have developed and gotten to the big leagues that we haven't mentioned, uh, very specifically, uh, Jordan Holloway is, is another pitcher who kind of came out of nowhere. I know he's had mixed results since he's come to the big leagues, but he and Nick Nider, uh, I mean, look, a, a pitcher develops, they get to the big leagues, something is going right there. And uh, Aldred is the one name in the Marlins organization that has really gotten uh, a ton of credit. They've also drafted pitchers very well. I mean, look, it's just... Unfortunately, a stark contrast from where they were a few years ago with the names that everybody's familiar with, Stanton, Ozuna, Yelich, Real Muto. Uh, now all of those stars are pitchers, and they're going to need some hitting to supplement those pitchers. Yeah, and that's always why I thought they made that trade of Gallon for Chisholm, because they just have the pitching, and they needed some depth in hitting. And, uh, you know, even though Gallon's a good pitcher— you know, they figured let's go with the position player. Position player is often more reliable anyways. Uh, was that your take on the trade, by the way? Yeah, they they, they thought Gallon. Well, you know what? They, they misfired a little bit. I don't think they thought Gallon was going to be as good as he is. I, okay. I don't. I, per, okay. I personally don't think that. They thought maybe he was a mid-level rotation guy, a third or a four. In fact, if you look at his starts when he came up with Miami, uh, a little erratic, a little wild, going five, six innings. He really didn't see what he saw, what we saw with the Diamondbacks. But what you're saying is absolutely the case. They just, they didn't see anything in the pipeline in the infield coming up of any viability, and that's why they made that deal. Right. So you weren't a fan of the trade at the time, or you were? Um, I, You know, it was hard to say because he was pitching so well, but yeah. in, in hindsight, it looks like a great trade. A gallon is hurt, and Jazz looks like he could potentially be a star, but uh, there, there were not a lot of fans that were that were big fans of that trade because Gallon was so great. But look, if if Miami could could pluck another pitcher from their rotation and trade for another position player like Jazz, you would have to believe that they know what they're doing because they made the right deal the first time. Right, right. Uh, last question from our buddy Frank Stamfel over at CBS Sports. Um, and Frank uh, also plays in Tout Wars. He's actually tied for first with me in Tout Wars. So, um, yeah, good job this year, uh, Frank. And uh, please lose a game. <laughs> He's just winning and winning. Uh, but he asks, is a question for Craig, what's the craziest Florida man story, Craig, you witnessed in person? Yeah, it's it's funny. So Frank was my co-host on Sports Grid before he ah, took the job okay. at CBS. So this is a little tongue-in-cheek here asking this question because – uh, when I hosted with Frank, we did a we did a segment each day called Florida Man, and we would pick <laughs> a uh, article from one of the local online papers in Florida, and tell the story about how just some crazy person in Florida ended up getting arrested or just something insane. So I I think that's kind of why he was he was asking the question. So I did think about this a little bit, and I wanted to correlate it to to baseball. So I'll try to tell this story in under five minutes so I keep so I keep people's attention here and you guys can kind of enjoy it as we go so uh, many years ago I was invited to go to a celebrity boxing match which was at the Hard Rock uh, Hotel and Casino in Hollywood I actually live in in Hollywood Florida so uh, I was invited to go because they were gonna have all kinds of like washed up celebrities boxing against one another 
And as it turned out, the main event at the fight was going to be uh, Jose Canseco. And Jose Canseco was going to fight the father of Lindsay Lohan. Uh, I don't remember his name, but uh, he was fighting against Jose Canseco. So knowing that I was a big baseball fan, and this goes back even 10 years, they thought, oh, getting Craig Mish there and you know some of the people who follow him on Twitter probably would get us some attention. So they asked me to go. They asked me to go to the weigh-in to interview Jose Canseco. So thought, okay, I told my wife we're going to go. We're going to go to this weigh-in, and then we'll go out to dinner at the Hard Rock. She said, okay. I said, and at the same time, you get to meet Jose Canseco. Maybe that's a big deal. Maybe not. She kind of knew who he was. I said, fine. So we show up at the weigh-in, and we're standing there getting ready to watch uh, Jose Canseco come out. They bring up uh, Michael Lohan. He weighs this amount. He is here. Michael Lohan speaks. Uh, I'm going to beat Jose Canseco into a pulp. It's going to be bad. It's going to be ugly. Okay, fine. Then the promoter says, okay, uh, now let's bring out Canseco. And, uh, you know, I thought it was a little weird that he just said Canseco, but just thought, okay, fine. So Canseco comes out. They announce he's not going to be speaking to anybody, but he is here. He puts his arms up. He, he uh, looks very muscular. Uh, and then I go over to interview him. Uh, I go over to interview Canseco. Uh, he says, you know, I just prefer to talk, not on camera. So we talk for a few minutes and we walk away. And I say to my wife, you know, it was really odd that, uh, you know, Jose Canseco didn't want to do an interview. He's always very well-spoken, very, you know, wants to talk. And it was also weird that they kept interviewing him as Canseco. Well, as it turns out, that was not Jose Canseco. <laughs> it was his brother, Ozzy Canseco, who uh, Jose Canseco had show up to the fight to fight for him, but it was debunked and figured out uh, that uh, by the promoter just before the fight, who claims he did not know that it was Ozzy Canseco, the same promoter who would not say Jose's first name at the promotion as well. That was probably one of the top Florida men's stories that I've experienced. And a quick Google online will take you to the story by Dave Hyde of the South Florida Sun Sentinel with me being interviewed for that story. We're going back about 10 years. So there you have it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. And that's first thing I'm going to Google right after this show. Oh, my God. Wow. Uh, yeah, Jose Canseco is is quite a character. I I, I assume you you read the book Juiced. Yes, all of it. And yeah, uh, yeah he's um, yeah. Character is is putting it nicely and and mildly. I'm sure that you you heard about that fight. You know, the reason why this all came up again in my mind is because he had that fight for uh, when he fought with Barstool, where he showed up, and I don't know if you saw that, but he fought no, for I ten seconds. Yeah, he had a fight. Barstool paid him a million dollars to fight against one of their. <laughs> Uh, you know, one of their characters, and he and he showed up, took one punch, went down and left, and took his million dollars. That was it. <laughs> oh, and for people who don't know, Ozzy Canseco is Jose Canseco's, I believe, twin brother. He played in the majors for three years, has a total of 13 career hits with no home runs, and he actually played with Jose on the 1990 Oakland team. Yeah, and, and, on, and on top of it, he's had... Jose has had Ozzy do many appearances for him. Like, like that story that I told you uh, was uncovered because I don't think Jose knew the magnitude of being at that hotel. Yeah, maybe he thought it was a real small deal, but he's had Ozzy go to his autograph signings and, and go to different appearances, and, and you really cannot tell the difference between the two of them. They look exactly the same. There's a birthmark on... Uh, on Jose's uh, hand, I think, which is kind of the distinction. But at the time, I, I didn't know. Uh, they fooled me. Uh, they fooled wow. me. So, yeah. Crazy. Impersonation here. Unbelievable. Oh, that's a great story. Um, 
Well, <laughs> on to the injury report, and Ruvain has uh, definitely has plenty to talk about. Uh, you, you've, can't, you can't talk about everybody here. There's so many in baseball, but uh, yeah, g- give us what you have, Ruvain. Yeah, I don't even know where to start because I'm writing an article for Rotobowler this week, and I already have 47 names on it, and those are just fantasy-relevant people who are, who are injured or have updates going on. But let me start with the Houston Astros with Lance McCullers, who's placed on the aisle with a sh- sore right shoulder. Astros manager Dusty Baker actually said that McCullers got an ultrasound and they weren't sure about getting an MRI. I don't understand that 100%, but he's going to be replaced in the rotation by Framer Valdez, as Craig mentioned, and Jake Odorizzi, who's coming back as well. Corey Kluber and Luke Weaver are both suffering from a subscapularis strain. That's a part of the rotator cuff muscle, and then they're both going to not throw for about four weeks, and they're going to be out for about two months. So I don't know how much quality innings you're going to get from either one of those guys coming up. Marcelo Zuna, I mentioned him earlier, he was placed on the aisle with dislocations and fractures of his ring and middle finger of his left hand. He won't require surgery, but he's going to be out for at least six weeks. Guillermo Heredia is going to be the starting outfielder for now for them. Zach Plezak had a Zach Wheeler moment when he had a, suffered a fracture to his right, a non-displaced right thumb fracture when he rather aggressively ripped off his shirt and got it caught on a chair at his locker. He will not require surgery, but finger fractures usually take about three to four weeks oh, to heal, boy. so just keep that in mind. <laughs> Bryce Harper, he's on the IL, which is why I'm I actually put the Phillies lower down in the, in, the, in the ranking for the NL East, with a left forearm contusion. Earlier this month, he was dealing with a left wrist injury following a hit-by-pitch, and then he had right shoulder discomfort, and we missed a couple of games. It's very possible that this left forearm issue is because of a load compensation issue or because he came back too soon. So it's very possible that once this left, quote-unquote, left forearm contusion heals, he should be good to go for the rest of the season. But Roman Quinn, a guy who is a stolen base threat, was activated off the IL and should fill his place. Greg, you mentioned Brian Anderson. He was placed on the IL with a left shoulder subluxation. The general manager for the Marlins, Kim, I, I, I'm not going to pronounce her name right, Kim Eng. You got it. Good job. Right. Um, Said that Anderson will be sidelined for at least the next several weeks, which means at least through June. Uh, Two people we didn't mention from the Marlins, John Birdie and Isan Diaz, should see a lot of time at third. I think John Birdie getting the majority of the starts there just because he has been hitting more than Isan Diaz has in the past. Trent Grisham was placed on the IL with a left foot contusion. We don't know how bad it is. There's no real timeline for his return yet. But Jerkson Profar will see more time in center field for the Padres. And I want to end with Miguel Rojas. We mentioned him earlier. Um, he dislocated his finger, according to Don Mattingly. He dislocated it today. They said the training staff popped it back into place. They said that he will probably go on the IL, and Craig confirmed that, and he's probably going to go on the IL. Jose Devers could actually see some more playing time, or just like Craig said, they're going to move Chaz Chisholm over to second base to gain eligibility at second base. I mean, shortstop, shortstop, sorry, shortstop. Yeah. Quick, quick thoughts on, on the new uh, Marlins uh, GM so far, Craig. Yeah, this is one of those that's really tough to answer because in a, in a normal year, Ariel, I, w- I would have uh, a lot more to say. The, uh, the other night I was in front of of Kim. I, I was actually in front of her at a game earlier this year, but with the inability to go one-on-one with any of these people outside of Zoom calls, it's not really fair for me to make any sort of uh, assessment. Um, I think she came in uh, very prepared, but uh, the, the, she had a, a lot to kind of gather <laughs> joining an organization and not knowing anyone 
within the organization outside of the major league players. So as far as what she has done from success and, and failure, uh, I mean, I don't know. I think it's kind of too early to, to kind of uh, assess that. Their bullpen looks much better than it did a year ago, so that's a plus. They didn't do enough offensively this year, I don't think, so that's a minus. So I'm, I'm just going to give her like a full year, and then I'll start rolling out the grades and things like that because I don't know how you can ask a first-time general manager who has you know no knowledge of an organization, their inner doings, probably very often has not even been to the city to just all of a sudden turn a team around. So uh, you know, six months from now, I'll come back on. I'll give you a better assessment. Yeah, and and you know, you mentioned twice already that you know this year is different. You're not in front of people. That's got to be a completely uh, a, a very different way of of working this year, and it must be a thousand times worse. Like, how are you dealing with that this year? Yeah, I mean, look, the the teams make everyone available as much as they can. There's a website, MLBPressBox.com. They post the 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 interviews with with everyone every day, so you still get access to that. But yeah, I mean, just just think of it this way: like every year, when when we start a season with the Marlins, they have 25 guys on the big league team. I probably like have some sort of relationship with 20 of them, and and like I've never met Anthony Bass, you know, like I've I've never met the guy. <laughs> like I mean, he he joined the team this year. We couldn't get in front of him, and and that's that's the story. And so of course it hurts me in a big way. A lot of my personal relationships with executives and players are all from pre-2020. So uh, a lot of gaining trust via text, not not being able to go to a dinner or go have a drink or do something like that. I mean, those are all you know things that I pride myself in as I really go the extra mile to meet these people and get to know them well. So you're absolutely right. Like from an insider's perspective, it's a really tough job to 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 kind of get to know a team on Zoom. Yeah, I mean, it's been tough. Yeah, hundred percent. This has been a fantastic episode, Craig. Uh, really, just entertaining, and the information you gave, uh, inside information on on the teams and a couple of names, and uh, just the ability that you have because you are a fantasy player to you know not just give the information, but how it affects fantasy. Uh, really, really made for a fantastic show. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Well, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, and and I wish you guys the best of luck and labor the rest of the season. And I hope second place is where <laughs> you finish, and I finish first. <laughs> no, thanks for that. Could you tell everybody where they can see your stuff on Twitter and where they can reach you? Sure. Well, there's a lot of things that I do. I always kid around that if if you see a lemonade stand in your city, there's a chance that I'm behind one of those because of the amount of work that I do. But uh, the the primary role right now is is I work for a company called Sports Grid. We're on the air every day from noon to two Eastern. My co-host is Davis Maddock, who's also a very big daily fantasy player, and we host on SportsGrid.com. There's an app for it. You can watch it every day. We're also on a lot of uh, televisions and live streaming as well. Uh, in addition to that, I have my own podcast called Swings and Mishes, M I S H E S. Oh, nice. And that's it. And that's a daily podcast that we just predominantly talk about the Marlins. Uh, you know, Derek Jeter has been on there with me, and, and basically everybody in the organization at one point or another will come on with me throughout the year. And um, uh, I work for the Miami Herald as a senior baseball correspondent covering the Herald. Uh, that's important to me. And the two other things that I do, uh, MLB Network, I work for them as a correspondent. And then uh, during the football season, I work for the uh, company, that, as you guys know, called Fantasy Alarm, and I do all of the uh, wagering shows with them on the NFL and college football. 
Fantastic. And obviously you've heard the show here, so you can tell the quality that Craig uh, Mish puts out and check him out on his, all his other places. Ruvain, can you just tell us where we can find you? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out daily updates, actually up, sometimes up to the minute updates on injuries, next guy up, how long that I think they're going to be out for based on my medical opinion. And uh, you can also catch my weekly article on Rotoballer discussing all the injuries, including a whole bunch that I wasn't able to get to today just because the list is so exhausting. And uh, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find my work over at Fangraphs, at Sportsline, and also at Rotoballer. I'm on Twitter at ATCNY. It's only five letters to remember. And, of course, you can listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs each and every week. From all of us here at Beat the Shift podcast, wishing you a great fantasy baseball season. Catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.